It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Thursday morning, the 30th of November. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reid on LMFM. There may already be a crisis in immigration, but by all accounts, that crisis will get a whole lot worse because the country is running out of space for people coming here seeking asylum. I think as a country of emigrants, we have always welcomed people into our country, into this country, those who wish to live, who wish to work, who wish to set down roots, but also we have welcomed and will continue to welcome those who seek our help, who seek our assistance, who seek international protection, be it those seek coming from Ukraine, uh, who are in receipt of temporary protection or international protection applicants. As a country, we have seen a significant increase in those seeking protection in recent years. We've gone from, on average, about 3,000 people seeking international protection to last year 15,000 people reaching our shores. This year, to date, over 13,000 people, 10,000 people, apologies. And we have, at every step of the way, done everything in our power to ensure that we are committed to and that we respond to our international obligations and that we provide support, that we provide a roof over people's heads and that we make sure that people who need our help, that they receive it. And that will not change. Of course there are pressures. If you change and move it from a figure of 3,000 to 15,000 in a year, of course there will be pressures with 100,000 people coming from Ukraine. But we have responded to this challenge. The people of this country have responded to this challenge. And we will continue to respond to this challenge. That's the Minister for Justice. And we'll hear a lot more from Helen McEntee before 11 o'clock this morning. But there is a real fear now that applicants for international protection will not be offered accommodation when they arrive because nowhere is available for them. And that that will force vulnerable people to sleep on the streets. Minister O'Gorban, working with his department, but supported by all of government, is working to identify new centres, new accommodation, and yes, that does include tented accommodation. It's not what we would want, but it's better to have a roof over people's head and to support them in whatever way that we can. And yes, there are real pressures 
at the moment on international protection and accommodation. But let me reassure the Deputy that mitigation measures will be put in place if the Department is unable to provide accommodation for anyone. There will be mitigation measures put in place. We saw that before. That will happen again. That reassurance from Helen McEntee, the Minister for Justice. Let's speak uh, to Thomas Pringle, Independent TD for Donegal. Good morning to you, Thomas Pringle. Thanks for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. We were listening to the Minister speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday. Later today, you're going to ask the Dáil to debate the uh, Children's Ombudsman report on children who are living in direct provision. Niall Muldoon said how we treat children coming in to this country will be a defining issue of our generation and as things stand history will not judge us well. Given the shortage of accommodation that there is now, despite the reassurance of the Minister and mitigation measures being put in place I take it that things could go from bad to worse for those children coming into the country. Well, I mean, yeah, they, def- they definitely could, and that's, I think the Ombudsman for Children has taken the unprecedented action of um, publishing a special report uh, in relation to, this is a follow-up from his report that was done in April 2021 in relation to concerns around children and direct provision and the direct provision system, and this is a follow-up as to how the government is responding to what was in that report, and unfortunately, I think the jury is still out based on what the, the report of the Ombudsman for Children has published and on what the whether the government is actually providing for children properly or not, and that's very worrying. And I mean, children are the most vulnerable people, and we see that right across the country. And the children in direct provision are probably probably then the the more vulnerable then than than most of our other children. Uh, children in homelessness would be the only equivalent that we would see, and that's very worrying that the state would actually be treating children in such a, a, a cavalier fashion and in a way that puts them at risk uh, for the future. Uh, and uh, is this just the way it has to be? Is there a solution to the problem? If we've run out of space, we've run out of space or could we do better? Well, I, I think we could do a lot better and I think you know this, this problem has been signalled for a, a couple of years now at this stage and the, the state can only be in an emergency situation for a limited short period of time. The state should be taken on board and actually putting in place permanent solutions and there doesn't seem to be any action in relation to that and that's, that's ultimately what is the problem. The state, the state should be putting together solutions that will be permanent in nature, providing permanent accommodation that would um, be state-run and state-managed and uh, open to inspection by ICWA authorities to ensure that children are uh, as safe as possible. Yeah, and we spend a lot of money accommodating people uh, by renting property, over €40 million Euro a month yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of that money is given to people who are basically looking to profiteer and see this as a way of making money rather than a way of providing much-needed accommodation for people. And that is that is a problem as well. And, and unfortunately, I believe personally that the department is happy will uh, will deal with somebody who's providing accommodation for 500 people rather than deal with maybe you know 100 people who are trying to provide accommodation for five people mm-hmm. each. And that, that's that's a problem as well. And it goes to the fact of this never-ending. Emergency situation that the government are in, um, where they should actually be t- 
factory and it's got some permanent solutions in place. Uh, and it appears as well uh, that there are two categories of immigrants uh, to this country uh, and indeed uh, how uh, Ukrainians are, are treated in relation uh, to those who are seeking international protection. Uh, I suppose there's advantages and disadvantages uh, for both cohorts coming here uh, but you're also hearing stories of Ukrainians being moved out of accommodation because those seeking asylum from other countries uh, who are looking for international protection uh, will yield more in terms of accommodating them for these private operators. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that in some places, and, uh, you know, and that's that's very worrying. And the, and the fact of making a distinction between people who need assistance uh, is a very very difficult, and it leads to a lot of conflict within communities. And, um, and you know, and at the end of the day, these are all people that need our help, and they're coming here, and they need they're needing our help. And we should be we should be big enough and strong enough to be able to stand up and say, look, we are going to give you assistance. We're going to help it as best we can, and d- do that rather than that this idea of competition between who is good immigrants and who is bad immigrants at the behest of uh, accommodation to providers who are looking to profiteer in relation to providing their accommodation. And we've dustings of snow across different parts of uh, the country this morning. Uh, I think uh, they're talking about temperatures going down to minus five in uh, the coming days. Very cold. Uh, People will hope uh, that they can afford to put their heat on in their houses. Not a time of the year to be on the streets for anybody. These are particularly vulnerable people for the most part who have come from various parts of the world but left disastrous situations behind them which they've fled from uh, quite typically war scenarios as the case may be Uh, and we've a very very bad experience uh, as everybody knows of people sleeping uh, in tents on the streets of Dublin already yeah exactly and that's I think that's the thing that we have to keep at the front of our minds at all times and dealing with the accommodation requirements and that as well you know is that that the people need our help and need our assistance and they're looking and and 99.9% of cases they're looking to improve their lives and contribute to our society as well and and, and, and I think their contribution will be immense if we actually uh, embrace embrace them and work with them and ensure that they, they have a decent stay when they're here and, and we're actually hmm. we're actually creating less problems for the future as well because if we if we neglect children like the, the way that they're going to be neglected through this process you're building up problems for the future as well because that's the most most delicate time and formative time of people's lives where a lot of the problems that can be that maybe would be somebody would experience can be formed at this at this delicate time in their, in their lives and if we treat them properly now we will actually look better for the future as well. Mm. Uh, we heard uh, the Minister talk about the number of people uh, who have come to this country seeking uh, asylum, uh, seeking protection uh, and who have been uh, accommodated uh, by the state uh, but um, whilst that has to be taken into account and uh, we have to understand how the state has responded to all of this uh, I don't think uh, we should forget either how we were told uh, at the beginning of the Ukrainian war to expect 200,000 Ukrainians to come to the country we were obviously weren't prepared if that was the estimate that the government had uh, why is there not provision for so many people? Yeah, I mean, they haven't. Obviously, they're not dealing with the situation. And look, I think they're they're probably in crisis mode because the number the number is still, even though it's not reaching the numbers that they initially said, is still quite high. And it's, it's, 
that's a crisis for them to be able to deliver that. But you know, you can't you can't be constantly in crisis and be in crisis mode for years on end. Mm. You have to actually be putting the work and to put in place permanent solutions as well. And that's the problem is that, and I think the Ombudsman report has highlighted that as well too that the, the actual work on permanent solutions seems to have stopped or seems to be non-existent. And uh, you know, and we, we need we need to have that and we need to continue on with that too. And I don't believe that it's beyond the, the government to actually work on putting together a permanent solution as well as dealing with the, the crisis as it stands at the minute. But it seems that across government it seems to have been left to the Department of Children. That's their problem. They look after that. And the government works in silos that, that, and there doesn't seem to be any united government action in relation to it. Uh, does it come down to the housing crisis? The housing crisis is a big part of it. There's no doubt about that, you know. And as well as that, you know, there, there are families uh, here as well without houses as well, and, and homeless accommodation too. That their children are as as big a risk there as well too. And I I believe that that all of this could be dealt with and could be sorted if we had a change of an attitude within the government, and if the government uh, didn't have the attitude that the market will provide and the market will provide solutions for this. Clearly, the market doesn't, and the market won't, and it's not in. And the government has to take responsibility, and the government has the ability to provide these solutions. And don't forget, as well, we mm. have the money as well. This isn't an issue of money. There's billions of euros there that the government could be using to actually sort these issues, but the government chooses not to. And we were only talking the other day about, uh, I think it's close to 1.4 billion euro in a development fund uh, that uh, has gone unspent. Uh, and nobody really knows if it can be used or how it can be used or if it would breach EU rules. Uh, but there's a, a lot of money. That's just uh, one example, of course, uh, available to uh, the government. Uh, but uh, Are the government even asking the EU, can, can, would it breach the rules or not, or how would they be able to spend it without breaching the rules? We, do, we, we don't hear that they're asking these, these questions. Mm. Um, you know, and I, th- I believe that if there was a will in the government, there would be a solution would be found. And the problem is that there isn't a will. Yeah, uh, but there is the money, uh, uh, even if that money wasn't uh, available, there's plenty of money at the government's disposal if you take into account the amount of money that it's paying out in rent apart from anything else. Uh, but this is just one of uh, the problems along with the housing crisis uh, and I'm sure a million one other issues uh, that the government uh, has to deal with. Uh, but it feeds into anti-immigrant sentiment, doesn't it? Uh, and perhaps that helped to fuel what we saw uh, last Thursday. Yeah, it, it does. It does feed into that, and there's people that want to capitalise on that and, and use whatever means they can to to capitalise on that. You know, and 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 in reality, the the anti-immigrant and fascists that are the, the capitalising this will move on to something else when it suits them, and it will be people in their own communities and maybe people who are different within their own communities uh, that, that that they will target and attack next, and that's what we have to be aware of. You know, and there's a very who say in, in, in relation to um, Germany and the authorities, like, you know, when, that when they came for the Jews, I said nothing. When they came for me, there was nobody left to say anything. And that's the reality of the situation, and that's what's going to happen. Okay. Uh, uh, can I just ask you about a, another issue um, which I, I think uh, is grabbing people's attention this morning? I'm not sure if uh, you've seen the Irish Times yet, but they're uh, reporting on uh, EU money going to Israel, some 18 million euro from the Europeans uh, development budget going to Israel. Uh, apparently, uh, it's uh, to do uh, with... Um, 
I have it here. Uh, regional EU-Israel cooperation in support of the Abraham Accords and fight against anti-Semitism and fostering Jewish life. It's obviously something that would have happened before the conflict in Gaza now. Uh, aiming to strengthen the relations between Israel and its neighbours and help the global fight against anti-Semitism. But I think a lot of people will be asking why we as Europeans are giving money to the Israeli state today to the tune of 18 million euro. Will you be one of those people asking that question? Yeah, definitely. Like, there's, there's a lot more money than that going to the going to the Israeli state, and, and that's a, that's a problem. And the government are refusing to um, take this up with the EU. The EU could carry a lot of responsibility and could could actually put a lot of pressure on the Israelis by cutting funding that has been going from the EU to Israel uh, while this this whole. Gaza attack has been ongoing, and the government is, is refusing to actually deal with that, and that that is a problem. And you know, basically, Israel is, is everything as a, a member of the EU and everything but name, as far as I'm concerned. And I think the the the, the thing about this is it really has exposed the EU and and to what they're actually doing and supporting Israel and actually supporting the the deaths that are taking place in Gaza, and that's. Shocking, and it's it's wrong, and the EU needs to be forced to stand up and, and put a stop to it. And um, unfortunately, the government isn't interested in that at the moment. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Many thanks for uh, taking the time uh, to be with us uh, on the program this morning as well. That's uh, Thomas Pringle, Independent TD for Donegal. Now, if you'd like to make a comment on uh, the program uh, this morning, I said uh, a moment ago a lot of people uh, will be taken aback by the idea that we as Europeans are giving Israel 18 million euro perhaps I'm wrong I don't know if that uh, is something uh, that would worry you but you're welcome to tell us our telephone number is 0419832000 that's 0419832000 you might also want to talk about the prospect of children coming to this country and having to sleep on the streets in tents we've seen how tents have been burned down uh, in the recent past by fascists. You can text or WhatsApp 86 658 if you want to comment on any of these issues or indeed if you wish to raise an issue with us. 86 658 is our text or WhatsApp number and you can email michael at lmfm.ie michael at lmfm.ie despite broadcasting guidelines uh, that prevent certain comments from going uh, out. Uh, you impose your own views and values on certain submissions to the point of censorship in not reading them out at all. Uh, this is uh, criticism of, of me failing to read out some of Tony's comments. He says, for example, uh, last Friday, uh, a comment came in from somebody else uh, that I did accidentally read out a comment ending in a reference to the destruction of identity papers by incoming migrants and you nearly choked on the words and were all apologetic as if you had just read out something that was untrue. Uh, 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 but Tony says it does indeed happen. Uh, uh, absolutely, Tony. I, I did almost choke on it and I did accidentally read it out. Uh, sometimes uh, that happens uh, that I have uh, unfortunately started to read a comment uh, without having read it before we went on air, if you know what I mean. Uh, and uh, certainly last week, after uh, what was hate-filled riots uh, because of... Uh, the nationality of the man who stabbed three children and a woman in Pernell Square. 
uh, I was very sorry that I had started to read uh, that comment. Anyway, that's just uh, to sort of back Tony up on what he's saying. Anyway, he goes on to say, I'm afraid the resulting mindless vandalism which happened in Dublin on Thursday took the focus from the important question of the entire evening. And that was the mindless stabbing of the woman and the children, of which we need to know more, of course, as it could turn out to be simply the result of mental illness. But if it turns out to be uh, similar to London or Paris or Dundalk, um, then it would be very concerning indeed if even after 20 years of radicalisation, it still runs in the blood of those who uh, entered into that mindset. But because of the resulting riots, not much commentary or opinion was given to what the trigger for the whole event was. Thanks, uh, Tony in County Loud. Uh, well, the trigger was, Tony, it's very simple uh, that people decided that because uh, the man who stabbed the women, the woman and the children uh, was a, a foreign, um, uh, of a foreign nationality, a foreigner uh, of foreign descent, uh, that all foreigners uh, are evil and will probably stab us all. That was the kind of stuff that was going around. Uh, but uh, I'd imagine that the people who instigated the riots were very, very disappointed to hear that it was a Brazilian, somebody who wasn't born in this country, uh, who came to the rescue of the victims in that uh, attack. Thanks, Tony. Glad to read your text whenever I can. And I think uh, we probably read more texts from Tony than anybody else on the programme. Pat and Kel says it's time to put a cap on the number of people coming to the country. Uh, we don't have the room. How long are they going to stay? Uh, somebody else says people who flee war don't deserve to be on the streets and attacked and have their lives threatened. Uh, another texter says we need to be clear the housing crisis is caused by the government over the past few decades. As for the asylum seekers, well, maybe it's better for them to uh, go to a country where they won't be attacked or killed on the streets. You can see what's happening to people who live here for several years or who are born by immigrants here. Ireland has a problem uh, with xenophobia and it's a problem that needs to be addressed, says our caller. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, another text about this comes to us from Margaret. She says, Michael, the government have to put a, a stop to asylum seekers. And she says, I certainly don't mean that in a non-caring way. We just don't have enough resources to look after those who are here all our lives. And in the last 10 years, we can't cope no health service, no guarantee. Everyone will suffer. And if we don't call a halt, it's like trying to squeeze 100 people into a 50-seater bus and it just won't work, Michael, says Margaret. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us this morning, Margaret. Our text WhatsApp app number 0861800658. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Policing dominated a dull business, yes, Today, Minister Helen McEntee took her leader's questions and Sinn Féin was on the attack. Your assertion that nobody saw this coming is a water-weak defence. Everybody saw it coming, Minister, and for months. When the news broke that children were stabbed, people held their breath for even a hint that the perpetrator might not be Irish. They knew this would be exploited by those who seek to sow hate, division and mayhem. Very soon after the attack, organised agitators were on the scene 
working their phones, starting to plan the havoc that unfolded. It was obvious to everyone on the ground that this orchestration was happening. In fact, a member of Mary Lou Macdonald's team brought it to the attention of Gardaí at the scene. People could see them organising through social media. At four minutes past two, Minister, I messaged my own sister-in-law, who works in the Rotunda, to warn her. I was in Dublin, Minister. I was here in Leinster House, and I could see this escalating. How did you not see and feel what was coming? Incredibly, the only people who didn't see this coming were yourself, your government colleagues, and the Garda Commissioner. Indeed, we were speaking with uh, Thomas Pringle a little bit earlier on. He was telling the doll yesterday that he and a number of other TDs were in Agriculture House and I think it was around five o'clock they were all told to go home that it wasn't safe. Uh, there was a, a endless concern and criticism heaped on top of endless concern and criticism uh, and all put to the Minister for Justice, Alan McEntee. What happened those children, what happened at school, is an unimaginable tragedy. And my thoughts are with them, they're with their family, they're with the school and with the wider community. What we saw unfold after that appalling tragedy was a small group of people who do not represent me, who do not represent the vast majority of people in this country, who took that appalling tragedy and used it to sow division, to sow hatred, to spread fear in this city, and to loot and to riot. They are thugs, and I will say it again, those responsible for inciting that hatred and that violence, those responsible for attacking members of Angarda Siakana, for setting buses on fire, they will be held responsible and they will be brought to justice. Did that wash with Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly? Did it heck? Spokespeople for the GRA say that there was no plan no central instruction given to Gardaí. That frontline Gardaí showed up to help because of WhatsApp messages sent to each other. This was an unprecedented, catastrophic failure of leadership on your part and on the part of Commissioner Harris. The public were placed in the way of danger. Ordinary workers, emergency responders and frontline Gardaí isolated, exposed and set upon. You lost control of Dublin city centre. It was mob rule. Yet you say the Gardaí had the resources needed to respond quickly and with force. Denial. You refused to accept that control of the city centre was lost. Delusion. You say that the streets of Dublin city centre are safe. Make believe. Tell that to the children, parents and staff at Gelskull Kalosh the Wirra. Denial, delusion, make-believe. The minister stood her ground. What we also saw, Kian Corlia, was the largest mobilisation of our public order units. What we also saw were over 400 <coughs> members of Angarda Siakana coming together to respond to these thugs. What we saw was in a very short space of time, these thugs being contained into a small part of our city centre. Yes, what we saw was devastating. Not one of us ever imagined we would witness what we witnessed, but they were contained by members of Angarda Siakana. What we also saw were other teams of Angarda Siakana protecting those who were trapped in their business, protecting those who couldn't leave their work, and we also saw members of Angarda Siakana protecting minority groups and those in international protection centres. We saw the largest 
response and mobilisation of Angarda in response to this horrific event. What we also saw were members coming from across the country. I have a report from the Garda Commissioner outlining what happened, outlining how he and his team responded. And as part of their response, yes, it was about sending messages to people as quickly as possible. And as part of that plan, it does include WhatsApp. How do you contact somebody as quickly as possible? But we also saw people literally getting into their cars because they wanted to support their colleagues. The two are not mutually exclusive. We saw the best of Angarda Siakana coming together to protect our city and to protect those in it. And we owe them a debt of gratitude. At that stage, Louise O'Reilly took out uh, an A4 piece of paper. A photograph was printed on it and she started waving it about. You remember hearing about how the children, obviously, in the Gale School didn't have any school on Friday, came back to school on Monday. There was promises of a guard presence, a visible guard presence. There were no guardie in Parnell Square. There was a drunken man who had urinated himself and he was photographed in this piece, or on this piece of paper that Louise O'Reilly produced in the doll. Minister, this is what greeted those children six days after that traumatic and horrific event that happened to three of their classmates and one of their staff members. The school is terrified and traumatised. The school community want answers and leadership and they are getting neither from you. This, this picture represents what Dublin City feels like to Dubliners. On your watch, Minister, you should resign. Helen McIntyre wasn't particularly impressed with how Louise O'Reilly had brought that photograph into the doll and showed it to all and sundry. This is what the Minister had to say. Deputy, I think we all have a role to be responsible in this House. And I think you should consider that before you start waving pictures around. You've said a lot of things, Deputy. Your party has said a lot of things. Your leader has said a lot of things since last night, since last Thursday. Not a single solution, not a single proposal, not a single thing of benefit has come out of your mouths since last Thursday. Instead, you have used a tragic situation to sow division, to point score, and to create instability. I thought for a second, Ken Corley, last week when I rang all of the members, all of the deputies in Dublin Central, I thought for a split second that we would be united in our determination to face down these absolute thugs who wreaked havoc in our city centre for a period of time. Instead, what we had less than 24 hours later was your leader standing on the edge of a criminal scene, calling for heads. And then it was over to the Labour Party. Its leader, Ivana Bakic, agreed with the Minister. Now, government TDs have been quick to accuse others of grandstanding, of distracting from the crisis facing us. And undoubtedly, there's been grandstanding from opposition, including waving of a photograph of an identifiable person in this house. That's an outrageous action. That's outrageous action. That's outrageous grandstanding. And I want to call that out. I want, I want to call out the waving of a photograph of an identifiable individual in our streets in this house. I think that's wrong. All right, uh, and that is uh, Ivana Bakic uh, in full agreement uh, with uh, Minister Helen McEntee that Louise O'Reilly was wrong to show that photograph of uh, the man lying on the street, as you could hear others in the background saying, a vulnerable man. And of course there will be lessons learned. An event, a, a catastrophic 
uh, event of this size, there will be lessons learned, and there should be, and on Garda and we as a country will be the better for it. When it comes to the school and those children, I have been in contact with the principal numerous times. I have been in contact with Angarda Siakana, not just the commissioner, but local Gardaí in Store Street. Right, that's uh, Minister Helen McEntee speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Now, let me go back uh, to the phone lines. A lot of people are in touch with us uh, today and great to be getting so many calls and text messages uh, to the programme. Uh, somebody else uh, who uh, has uh, texted us today says they agree with Tony uh, about how we do and don't read texts out on the programme. Um, uh, Tony saying you have your own opinion on things and don't read out anything uh, that uh, I don't agree with. Uh, this is Molly, she says I texted last week saying the rioters have my respect without the violence and looting because uh, of her beliefs which are racist beliefs, Molly, and you see, uh, you might think that it's okay to be racist or xenophobic or anti-immigrant or anti-foreigner And if you do, uh, I'm not sure what to do about that, except to tell you that I can't give you a platform to voice those opinions that I'm prohibited. uh, And that's nothing to do with my opinion. That's the laws of the country, uh, because uh, we live in a a democracy where we try to treat all of the children equally and so on. uh, And that stems into the Constitution, which gives way to legislation and broadcasting laws. And the Broadcasting Act prohibits me from voicing your racist opinions. I apologise uh, that I, I can't bring your opinions, but I certainly don't regret it, <laughs> if that makes sense, uh, because I, it, it, it makes me very sad that not only do people feel that way, but they're very willing to put their head above the parapet and text into a radio station and say those things. Uh, it's... Um, uh, dis- dismaying. Tom and Navin says Michael, Michael, polls are showing that three quarters of the Irish population now believe that we've taken in enough asylum seekers and international refugees. Three quarters. Do you agree? You can give your opinion on a lot of things and have your own personal views aired, which borders on gutter journalism. You should be impartial. It's not your job to run anyone down. The listeners should make up their own minds. I suppose it's a skill you either have or don't, says Tom in Navin. Thanks, Tom. Um, Maybe we have enough asylum seekers in the country uh, if we can't accommodate them. I hope that we can do better, uh, I think is the answer. But uh, it's not up to me. Uh, There are rules and regulations uh, and uh, I I don't make up the rules. I just have to follow them. Uh, Claire in Mead, uh, thanks uh, for your message too. She says, Michael, Helen McEntee should practice what she preaches. Absolute rubbish talk. Christmas is coming. Where are our Garda? Please, Helen, tell the truth. Or are you being told to keep quiet? Thank you, Claire. Our phone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Don't contact us uh, if um, you've got some sort of racist comment. Uh, but if you've anything else to say, you can contact us on those numbers or email michael at lmfm.ie. When and where they need it. Now, let's go back uh, to that story that we were hearing in the headlines. Uh, Independent Senator Lynn Ruan criticising uh, the minister... Helen McEntee for using terms like thugs and scumbags. Let's take a listen to what Helen McEntee had to say. Those who are marginalised in our community, those who are seeking international protection, are the very people that those thugs and scumbags on Thursday night sought to intimidate 
and the measures that I'm putting in place to support Gardaí, be it more Gardaí themselves, be it better armour, better equipment, be it body cameras, so that they themselves can have a proper account of what's happening. That's Helen McEntee speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday. It's the first time uh, I've heard a minister call anybody scum. Uh, at least it's uh, the only time I can remember a minister using that word to describe people in the doll. I must say I was a bit taken aback by it yesterday. Uh, and it did lead to that criticism from Senator Lynn Ruan. Uh, let's take a, a listen to what she had to say about it. This is a very interesting interaction, I think, between Senator Lynn Ruan and the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris. Um... Yes, it should be, but for some reason I'm not hearing my file. Uh, I will have Until to. Until this point, oh, okay. where politicians are kind. There was obviously a glitch there. We'll we'll go back to the beginning of that. I'm apologies. I'm not sure uh, the file was playing away. Uh, I could see it playing, but we couldn't hear it. Uh, it seems to have rectified itself. Whatever the problem was, uh, as we were saying, Helen McEntee said that those who rioted in Dublin were thugs and scumbags. Now we'll hear this interaction between Independent Senator Lynn Ruan and the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris. We're on the receiving end of anger and hate. And I think that that's where my kind of uh, analysis of the scenario has been happening is that there's many things that have happened up until this point where politicians are kind of pointing fingers now at particular individuals or at the police commissioner or at whatever, rather than looking inwards and kind of going, well, what led us here today and why has it led us here? And I'm wondering in all your years within the profession, what you see as the core driver of violence, um, forgetting, I suppose, the, the, the scenarios that may spark it off, but what are those core drivers of violence? when you look at communities who have a higher propensity of violence? Uh, well, um, well, over the last five years, and, and I first spoke about the rise of the, the threat of the right wing in, in 2019 at a Police of the Authority meeting because um, we're not alone in this. This is, this is happening across uh, Europe, uh, and our, the events of last Thursday have been replicated in many European capital, uh, capital cities. I think this starts from a place of uh, uh, prejudice, and that prejudice then uh, becomes uh, um, discrimination and hatred. And, and that's, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that sounds blunt, but that's what we see when we're dealing with these individuals, that they are fully convinced of the conspiracy theories and the various and the arguments that they have uh, and they're not open then to uh, perhaps a, a rational argument or, or a rational discussion in respect of, of what's going on. And, and that's the character of some of those we see involved. And, and they've been in effect, I, I used the expression last Friday morning, uh, radicalised in terms of um, uh, their activity online and then their subsequent behaviours. Uh, and uh, they do seem to be able to gather and garner support. Uh, a lot of it's through the internet and a lot of it's through connections down to other groups so, in so, Europe. So when we look at that group that we can clearly identify as having its roots maybe in fascism, in kind of global context, similar struggles in, that have been involved in around the world, but then we have... Um, communities from, that are disenfranchised who are very much being then exploited um, because a particular grouping have given them a narrative for, I suppose, 
a, a rage or an exclusion or an isolation or a shame that they have felt in their own existence in an Ireland that has left them behind. So my concern is, I suppose, around uh, rhetoric and language when we look at trying to make sure that some of those young men who we are at risk to losing to much more organised um, bodies that you speak about, that when we use language like thugs and scumbags, that it makes it more and more difficult for youth workers, community workers, people that are trying to engage with young men to differentiate between the messages that are given. And I suppose what I want to ask you is, do you see that when we use terms like thugs and scumbags in that collective sense, when we are talking about people who get dragged from the fringes into these spaces, who may not necessarily be part of the official far right, but are being exploited in that sense, that we create more division and in turn, that doesn't create more safety. That actually makes it harder for us to create safety in the future. Well, I, I and... Um they, those are not expressions that you hear, hear from us because they uh, would indicate like, a lack of uh, objectivity on our, on it our part. It says thugs in the statement. Well, uh, I just I think um, we we just we need to be careful, and you're right. We need it to be needs careful. It to be differentiated. What, yeah, yeah, we need to be careful about the core group, and then those on, on the on the margins of it. That's the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris struggling, I think it's true to say, to respond uh, to independent uh, Senator Lynn Ruan, obviously not aware of what was stated in the Garda press statement. Uh. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Which obviously would be on his behalf. Uh, anyway, interesting stuff. I thought it was very interesting. Not sure what you think. Um, are, are, are those who rioted in Dublin scum, or are we defeating 
uh, our fight against people who behave like that by calling them names and alienating them. That's the point that Lynn Rowan was making. Do let us know what you think. John has been in touch. Thanks for your WhatsApp message, John, in Dundalk. And he says, Michael, I'm enjoying the show as always. I feel so terrible for asylum seekers who come here and have no accommodation, only tents, which is not suitable for women and children. I recently tried to get concert tickets for the Aviva and I was unsuccessful. My point here is that if the stadium is full, it's full. So can we stop taking migrants and filter them in when more accommodation becomes available? It's a no-brainer, says John. Yeah, there is there there is a, a point, John, and that is the challenge now. I, I think the big question is: Can we do better, or should we have done better? Um, we're dealing with this a, a long time, and we were told uh, to expect a lot of people to come to the country. Thanks uh, for your message, though, and. Uh, I'm sure other people will have thoughts on that that they'll share with us. Sean uh, has been texting us uh, this morning and he says the more the Minister for Justice says, the more she becomes a laughing stock. If she thinks that she has the backing of the general public, then she is dumber than we all thought. Thank you, Sean. Well, I don't think anybody thinks Helen McEntee, apart from Sean, is a dumb person. Uh, quite the opposite. I think a, a lot of people would feel uh, that uh, she is highly intelligent and very capable. Uh, but uh, as to whether she is a laughing stock now, uh, as you say, Sean, uh, I, I think that she probably has some support, probably a lot of support, uh, but obviously not the support of Sean. And undoubtedly, there is a lot of criticism of Helen McEntee as well. How that breaks down. Uh, I'm not sure, um, but I would say that people feel uh, very supportive of Helen McEntee. A lot of people would feel that she should go. Uh, Noel says, uh, Michael, there's a, a lot of things um, Israel should get, like sanctions, prosecutions for war crimes. Instead, they're getting millions. Michael, you should rename your show the Helen McEntee Show. Okay, no, I think Helen McEntee uh, is the subject of discussion right across the country, Noel. It's not just this programme. Thanks uh, very much. That's uh, relating as well to that 18 million that the European Union are giving to Israel. Uh, And that means we're giving 18 million euro to Israel. After all, we are Europeans and uh, we feed, we are uh, contributors uh, to the European budget now. Uh, Deirdre and Kells uh, says uh, that money should be going, shouldn't be going to Israel. It it should be used to uh, provide us with a a new hospital, something that we badly need. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Our phone number 0419832000, text or WhatsApp 0861800658, email michael at lmfm.ie. Brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Uh, my thanks uh, to a, a local farmer in County Mead uh, who has sent on a, a video to us uh, and says his mother is 80 years of age, a, a landowner that AirGrid want to sign up for the cables and the pylons crossing eight acres of her land. Uh, my mother has no intention of ever agreeing to allow our grid cross our family land. And uh, this man says, my father had no intention of allowing them to do that either when he was alive. Both of them had signed consent forms uh, for NEPP to act on their behalf, opposing these hideous and dangerous pylons and cables. This campaign by Airgrid, this man says, has his mother terrified 
of strange men calling to her home. Three more of her neighbours, 69-year-old, 74-year-old and a 94-year-old, all landowners that Ergrid have written to with what he describes of threats of court action if they don't accept their terms. So some of these people have had visits by Ergrid, their so-called liaison officers already, despite all opposing this project, and the rest of the neighbours live in fear of a, a simple knock on the door, most likely by two strange men in unmarked cars, none by appointment ever. This seems like an attempt to frighten them into signing forms they might not fully understand. The other elderly neighbours are equally worried about these threats by Airgrid, as they have all had similar letters from Airgrid and none of them are interested in Airgrid's dirty money. They are concerned only about the legacy they leave for future generations of their families and communities. Thank you for taking the time to hear my own concerns and my elderly mother's too. As I say, this man uh, sent us on a, a video uh, of when two representatives of Airgrid arrived at his mother's house I think we'll take a, a, a listen to part of it. All I can do, I'm at the bottom of the barrel here. Yeah, I know, but you're still, you're doing someone else's dirty work. You come up from Ballycon County Cavill on behalf of Aigrid. Two years here, approaching an 80-year-old woman who lives on her own in that house, yeah. knocking on her door, you are absolutely told not to call to this premises, not to this house, not to this farm. You're not welcome around here. You're knocking on the front door of my 80-year-old mother in there on her own. You're told not to call. Quite threatening and intimidating, I think. Well, we didn't, we not, we just not. But you were actually, you were actually asked not to visit here ever. No. Without we, engaging we, through any PP. You haven't done that. You haven't informed any PP you're taking a visit to my mother. We not, we not. Did you inform any PP you're taking a visit to my eight year old mother? It was all in the pack. It was all in, in the pack. In what pack? In the pack that was sent to the landowners that there Go was on. engagement with landowners. Did you put a time and a date you're going to call the visitor? Did you put a time and date when you were going to visit her? No, we did not. You didn't, so you called uninvited to an eight-year-old woman's house intimidating her even more than she already is, hoping not. She might sign a piece of paper or a document, no, take your dirty money. It wasn't that, it wasn't that. Okay. Enjoy your travels and sleep well at night. Okay, with that, uh, the representatives of Ergrid uh, left uh, that um, particular... Uh, address. Let's speak uh, to Porrick O'Reilly, spokesperson with NEPP, the North East Pile and Pressure Campaign Group. A very good morning to you, Porrick, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, I'm told uh, there's been over 40,000 views of that video so far, but it really is very hostile towards uh, the Airgrid employees, isn't it? Uh, good morning, Michael. Well, I think it's a, a normal reaction when people, uh, anybody turns up on the door unannounced, when particularly they had every option to do it properly. Um, and yes, it, 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 it's hostile. And, and by the way, this is happening in many, many situations. This is not a, a, a unique uh, one by, by any uh, stretch of the imagination. We're getting a lot of calls from a lot of very annoyed and, and stressed uh, landowners. And for us, the point is there, there, there's much better ways and easier ways to do this. And Egret have chosen to just be very aggressive and turn up unannounced, despite the options they have either to contact us firstly or to write to the landowner and have an appointment. They're doing none of this. They're just turning up 
and and uh, aggressively entering premises. But um, there, there's lots of people uh, who carry out cold calls like that. I don't know how many times I opened the door for, to see somebody ask me uh, who uh, I get my gas from or my electricity for from or who I have uh, my uh, telephone with or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and they can offer yeah. it. I mean, that's par for the course, isn't it? None of those people you mentioned, Michael, uh, would have signed uh, a form of authority, um, uh, uh, you know, and been written to expressly requesting that they don't turn up because of the nature of this project, which is going on 15 years. So I don't think we can compare a normal phone uh, cold call to this. Okay, you know, but but Airgrid, as we as we heard one of uh, the reps there saying, Airgrid uh, has written to everybody, uh, and in those letters he, he said. They said that they would be calling at doors. It, well, you know, and, and what that that statement from air, that air grid representative was not correct in terms of a letter being written. There, there was a, a public information pack sent out, a general information pack with a, a single page saying we will be in the future talking to landowners. I mean, that is not that is not a letter, and that is not a, a, a direction that they have the the right to, to turn up on on that basis. If you think, Michael, they wrote to the landowners concerned a number of weeks ago offering compensation. So they have all their names, they have all their addresses. All they had to do was write to them and request an appointment and ask was the landowner interested or not in a meeting, which they did not do. They 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 went they decided to go the 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 hard you know the, the aggressive route and turn up unannounced, even to those landowners who who had requested that they should do not they should not do so. Okay, but as a, a an organisation, as a group, uh, you, you you don't endorse that type of hostility, do you? Uh, it was not hostility. I would not call it hostility, Michael. It was a response to uh, um, a, a visit by Airgrid, who were expressly requested not to turn up, and it was a very respectable. There was no shouting and roaring. There was mm-hmm. just a coverage of the facts that that the landowner said they were requested not to turn up. Why did they turn up? and that they should leave. I don't think that's hostile. I think it's just making it clear to Airgrid that they are the ones that are stepping out of line here, and they should not turn up unannounced, where they have a letter on their file for the last 15 years stating, please do not come to my premises. Is it an indication of the depth of feeling? Uh, Because a lot of people are very much opposed to the North-South interconnector. It is, Michael, and I think it's a very respectable response given all the annoyance on this project for so many years. Uh, uh, and, and farmers have remained very respectable, and so has the campaign on this. And, and I would point out that we've never, uh, we've never stepped out of line. We've attended all the planning applications and the hearings. We've never had a single protest, and we don't intend to do so. So we haven't discommoded any member of the public here all we've done on behalf of the landowners is uh, represented their position and their desire not to have this, this infrastructure on the land. And that's where it stands at the moment. And Airgrid are refusing to listen and trying to use what they see as their powers to, to force the landowners to, to take compensation. And there's absolutely no interest in them doing that. And if they come back with court orders with or without compensation, uh, will that be resisted? Uh, they can't come back with court orders, uh, Michael, at this stage. They need farmers' um, acceptance and approval. Uh, so well, that is not something that's possible. Uh, uh, and uh, if if 
it gets to that stage, there has there would have to be uh, ex, uh, you know decisions made by government that they want to give them special powers, and that that that's not. For discussion now, it's, it's okay. Well, it's not an option for them. The, the, the man who posted that video said uh, they're threatening to come back with court orders. Airgrid have said they'll come back with court orders, uh, and they believe that they can obviously do that. Uh, and it would be ESB uh, who would be using that order to gain access uh, to the land, uh, but that will be resisted, will it? I take it. Well, we believe that they cannot come back, Michael. We strongly believe that, um, and. The only way out of this for Airgrid uh, and ASB is an acceptance by landowners. That is the only way to a solution here, uh, and that is, that is not going to happen. So we're not going to speculate on what might happen with court orders. We don't believe they can get to that point. Mm. Okay. Um, you're, you're just dismissing what Airgrid has said publicly Airgrid about this? Airgrid did not, Michael, I, I would, I would, uh, you know, when mm. we had the, the yeah. last discussion, they, they, they said that when, if there's acceptance, they, they, they can move forward. Um, and, you know, I have it verbatim in what Mr. Mahan said. Mm. They did not state that they had the powers to, to come with a court order. Okay. Um, and, and we have seen this time, uh, time and time again where they are using weasel words to try and pretend uh, and intimidate landowners into thinking that they have the rights to come on land. They don't have the rights. They don't have them now and without acceptance they won't they won't be able to go forward with this. Okay. That's the one thing that we're really clear about and, and the message we want to send out to landowners. Declan in Trim says uh, that when I get cold callers uh, to my front door they're not looking for me to sign over part of my back garden. Uh, that's uh, Declan in Trim. Thanks for your message, Declan. And uh, I take it uh, that sums up the way some people feel, at least, Porrick. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, this is not a normal cold call, as I say. You know, it it, it it should not happen like this. And what we're asking Airgrid to do is respect no- people's normal privacy and do things in normal fashion, even if there's a, a, de- a request for a department visit from an agricultural perspective. Uh, they write to the farmer first. They arrange a meeting. They they, they make sure that there, there's there's no issues, and then they call out. Airgrid uh, do not have the right to do what they're doing now, and they should they should uh, stop doing this and and uh, respect what farmers have requested them to do for many many years. Okay, we leave it there for the moment, Parik. Thank you, and, indeed. And just mm. if I could just say, Michael, we you know there is a major public meeting that oh, we're yes. having tonight mm. at eight thirty mm. in the Headford Arm Headford Arms in Kells where many of these landowners will be intending. And, and indeed, um, we welcome all of the public to to, to come and listen to the uh, the major impact this infrastructure would have if we do not stick together and, and prevent it happening. Half eight in the Headford Arms. Yes, yes. OK, that's tonight, half eight in the Headford Arms. Park, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us, as always, on the programme. Uh, Mick Inkels uh, says, Michael... Uh, surprised with you. This is the very thing you give out uh, about calling to old people's houses no matter what documents that they have like every so often people letting on to be Gardaí and so on. Thanks uh, Mick for that. Uh, and uh, indeed uh, to uh, the person who sent us in that video, I, I think uh, with Airgrid not here, uh, 
sure you understand uh, we needed to balance the conversation. But our thanks to to Porica O'Reilly, spokesperson with NEPP. That's the Northeast Pylon Pressure Campaign Group. Margaret, thank you for your message to the programme this morning. Margaret says, I'm shocked to hear millions of EU money is going to Israel. The Israeli president was on prime time on Tuesday night and uh, made it known that Irish taxpayers' money was going to Palestine. But uh, of course, he failed to say that Irish taxpayers' money was also going to Israel through the EU. Israel says words matter. Well, it seems it's only a few words that matter to them when they can pick a few from a statement made by our Taoiseach and use them against Ireland and to deflect from the horror of their actions in Gaza. Israel knows all about words. They've been playing on them since the start of the war by saying they tell Gazans to move to a safe place before they start bombing, knowing full well they have nowhere safe to go to. Yes, words matter, but don't use them to cover up atrocities. Margaret, thank you very much for your message. Thanks too to Aileen in RD. She says, Michael, I listen to your show every morning and I'm just wondering what your views on Helen McEntee are, calling people involved in uh, the demonstrations scumbags and thugs. I can't recall ministers using terminology like this before in the doll, says Aileen. I can't remember any minister uh, using the word scum uh, in the past either, Aileen. I've heard, I think I can remember, I wouldn't be surprised at least to think that people were called thugs. Uh, but name calling uh, is something that uh, ministers tend not to do. Uh, and uh, I suppose that's both words. And that's what Lynn Rowan was saying. And she was saying that you alienate people. Jerry in Wilkinstown says scumbags and thugs is the right term for those dirtbags. <laughs> that's another name to throw into the mix. Thanks, Jerry. He says Helen McEntee is the best justice minister for a long time. And you will always have a minority who do not support her. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, we Lynn, another text from somebody who says Lynn Rowan was absolutely correct calling everyone who has concerns far right is an absolute lie and calling dissenting voices as hate speech and banning it will have long term consequences for us as a society. Minister McEntee is responsible for that at least. Aim and no party says Michael it's like everything with this government they're not proactive they are reactive and just to say it's great to see more women in politics but I I think Ella McEntee is letting women down. Oh, God. All right. Thank you, Eamon, for sharing your views with us. 0419832000, the telephone number, text or WhatsApp 0861800658 if you wish to comment or email michael at lmfm.ie. 086-1800-658. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. We've had so many complaints about the buses uh, in County Meath over the last while, uh, particularly from people who rely on uh, the 103 service or the NX in Navan. If you're one of them, you'll know that Bus Erin has not been capable of uh, providing a reliable bus service. Here's a spe- special message to you from Bus Erin. The first thing I want to say, and I say it and repeat it again, is I absolutely unreservedly apologise uh, to anybody who was impacted. Right, that's the CEO of Bus Erin, Stephen Kent, uh, speaking at a meeting of uh, the Oireachtas Committee yesterday. He was responding to Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke, who's on the line with us. And a very good morning to you, Darren O'Rourke, and thanks for joining us. Uh, you let it be known to Bus Erin that people 
people were very much discommoded as a result of buses not turning up. We heard the apology there. Did we get an explanation? Well, we got something of an explanation, and I think um, I've been on before, and, and other public representatives have engaged with us here, and, and we had an indication of some of the root causes of, of the, the problems, uh, principally related to lack of availability of fleet, um, uh, shortage of mechanics in the first instance to, to, to deliver scheduled maintenance on, on buses, and then second of all, unscheduled, uh, you know, buses breaking down. Um, but what, what, um, I think the important thing um, is to, to know that, you know, we've, we've come out to some degree the other side of it, but actually um, there are concerns there, I think, into the future in terms of the the, 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 the viability of our, our bus errands capacity to deliver on, on many of, of, of these services. I think there was an acknowledgement, an apology. Um, I raised the question of, of um, you know, the contingencies that, that were eventually put in place, why it took so long, the type of, of penalties that bus errands might face as a, a result of it, but also the approach. Um, and there was an acknowledgement there that... Um, that there were, it was at peak times. You know, you literally had hundreds of people, hundreds of people at, at bus stops, um, waiting for services. Um, I asked, you know, was there was there not an approach to try and minimise the number of passengers impacted? So perhaps um, move, sir, you know, move the, the cancelled services to the quieter parts of the day. Um, there, there wasn't an acknowledgement from from bus Aaron in relation to that. Um, NTA uh, have said that um, there, there won't be fines, so to speak, in relation to the poor delivery of service. But what there will be is that the uh, uh, bus errand won't be paid for the services that weren't delivered. I, mm. I think there, you know, there is possibly case for, for additional penalties. They pointed towards their own contingency now, which was to redeploy mechanics from. Uh, elsewhere around the country, they mentioned getting people down from as far away as, as Donegal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, trying to uh, recruit additional and, and train additional mechanics, which which takes time. And they have made the case for mechanics to be included on the critical skills list, which is something that that I've supported and hope to see changed in the in the coming weeks. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But ultimately, when I ultimately when I put it to them. You know what's to prevent something like this happening in the in you know in the near future because there was a you know a perfect storm for those number of weeks. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, they, they, they didn't provide any great reassurance, Michael. Right. To be well, that, that will really worry people, I, I think, uh, because apologies are, are one thing. I, I think people, uh, to some degree, will say, "Well, we want more than that. We want some sort of sanction uh, along the lines that uh, you're talking about." Uh, fines and so on so that there would be repercussions for leaving people standing in the wind the rain the cold or whatever weather uh, there was without any idea uh, as to whether the bus was going to come and whether they'd get to where they were intending to go to work hospital appointments all the things that people do in their daily lives we'll hear a little bit more uh, from bus Aaron and what they had to say to you in the committee yesterday now we're carrying 160,000 uh, journeys a week across all the services 
and you, the, you're in your own hometown, Navan, that NX is an enormously successful route at the moment. There was a point a couple of years ago when we introduced that 20-minute frequency coming out of the city where it was very slow to build. In the mornings now, we could be filling three double-deckers. And so it, it is in enormous demand. That's a great tribute to the success of the whole route. But it also means that if you drop a bus inside and there, you could be leaving 80 people behind. So as you said, you're not wrong. The, 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 there was hundreds impacted in that instance where you drop it. And we were intermittent, so... Yeah, well, busy buses. Uh, I think they were saying that most buses ran on schedule. Uh, but uh, is that understandable? They're, they're very busy buses, but is it understandable that they'd leave 80 people behind? I mean, have they got the wherewithal to deliver a reliable service, Darren O'Rourke? One, one of the things that really infuriated people in the middle of this crisis was when Bus Aaron came out and said they had, you know, a 97% performance rating and, uh, you know, over a 95% customer satisfaction rating. And they came out yesterday and said that at the worst of this, um, they were uh, at a, at a 95% performance rating. And it's very clear on a number of those days in, in mid-October on the 103 on the NX, like this specifically on the NX, they specifically advise people not to use the service if they if they could uh, avoid it at all. Mm. On the 103, there were 20% of uh, services dropped on individual days mm. there. So you know they're, um, they're being completely disingenuous to yeah. say that um, that they're, they're they're living at 95%. Like if they take it over the whole year, or if they take it, mm. you know, those services in the middle of the day that are that aren't used in, in nearly the same degree. It is uh, mm. the, the the real criticism I would have in relation to this is that the contingency was far too slow. The response was far too slow. Mm. The uh, the redeployment of staff, the response. So, so for too long, and I mean, a, you know, a significant number of days. Bus Aaron were willing to, to 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 leave people by the by the wayside by mm. at the side of the road and did provide really poor communication. Um, you, you've seen it on the on the website where a bus would be cancelled and you'd be notified on the website. Mm after the time the bus was due to arrive. It's you know, the, unbelievable. Uh, and the w- fact that they'd leave 80 people left standing in, in the cold, as we heard from Bus Aaron themselves there. Uh, and regardless of the weather, people terribly frustrated. And if people listening to us today weren't left waiting on a, a bus, they probably would have seen how... Uh, the timetable said cancelled, 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 cancelled. One after another cancelled, uh, as you say, because uh, the people have been so angry about this and sharing this sort of information. Uh, let's hear just once again from Bus Aaron and what Stephen Kent had to say about that 97% of service delivery. It was 97% still delivered, but it only takes, you know, yeah, if you miss one of those trips that you will impact those people and discommode them. So, so, um, it is a challenge in terms of success. I'm sorry that we couldn't get people invested. We did everything that we were trying to do faster. Some of those people do need to go about their jobs, their lives, and the whole lot. And I mean, that's what we, we have it in our purpose. We're here to connect people to what matters to them to make life better. Right, they failed. Uh, we just heard Stephen Kent say there they did everything they could possibly do to deliver a bus for people uh, waiting on a bus. They failed. Uh, do you think that begs the question or not, Darren O'Rourke, 
uh, as to whether somebody who's capable of delivering the service should be asked to do so? Well, I, I think there is a um, like within it, it, it's quite clear that they did fail, and they failed literally thousands of people across across our county. Um, and you know that's that's completely unacceptable. Um, it's it's not enough. I think you know there there needs to be uh, an acknowledgement, and I, I do think there needs to be not just non-payment but penalties uh, issued from the NTA. Uh, there needs to be you know a review of their approach in relation to that. I, I think it's completely unacceptable that they don't communicate with people and that the contingency that you know very many people pointed towards uh, you know uh, um, outsource the the. The, the mechanical responsibility, uh, you know, seek seek uh, private capacity to to fill the gap where you have that where, where you have that crisis didn't happen nearly quickly enough, and you know it's not enough in my opinion to to say sorry to to um, to customers because it's not just some people who who require that that service to to get to work. It's everybody who's using that service is dependent on it, and we give very many examples of people who's. You are completely discommoded in relation to work. People who had, I, I've said it before, had keyholder responsibility and had to give up that give up that responsibility. People who have, you know, significant responsibility at work are dependent for opening up up shops and and and, uh, and and weren't weren't able to deliver on that. And it is completely unacceptable at a time when we're supposed to be expanding public transport services where ambition is to encourage people to use public transport service that the main public transport provider in our area um isn't in a position to deliver and there seems to be absolutely no accountability we leave it there for the moment thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning that is Sinn Féin TD for me East Darren O'Rourke Ireland Michael at lmfm.ie the Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Thanks to Paddy, who's been in touch with us uh, on the phone to us uh, this morning, telling us he was on a, a bus yesterday uh, which constantly stopped letting children on. He says uh, there were so many people on the bus uh, that at one stage there were 17 children standing in the aisle and he asked the driver uh, about the risk of having so many children standing on the bus. She said she just can't leave any child on the side of the road. Paddy believes that that could become a risk, especially as weather temperatures plummet and we enter into the dark evenings. Thanks uh, for that, Paddy. I don't think there's any restriction on people standing on buses uh, as far as I know, at least. Uh, an email comes to us from Mary McSweeney, uh, who was at one time a regular emailer to the show. Nice to hear from you, Mary, once again. Long time. I hope you're well. She says um, when people are described as right wing in this country, many of us do know, not know what that means. Uh, left wing is easy enough for a historical reasons. So now, can any media agency say exactly who were the people who were involved in the Parnell Square, Moore O'Connell Street, I think, incident last week? If they are right wing, what parties do they belong to? And if it is merely a catch all to describe any thuggish behaviour in public, then say so. I used to attend meetings in uh, centre in Parnell Square once. It was a nice park and a, a lovely part of Dublin uh, to be in. It needs to be recovered for the benefit of uh, Dubliners and visitors to the city, says Mary. Nice to hear from you, Mary. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, there's a lot of these people who think that they're 
politicians or aspire to be politicians, uh, you'll probably see a lot of these groups run people in uh, the local and European elections and then in the general election. There have been quite a, a number of them who have stood in the past and they got nowhere. Uh, they'd get, you know, a handful of votes. Um, it'll be interesting, I suppose, uh, unfortunately, to see uh, if that changes, uh, I'm sure there'll be more support for them um, as we go into uh, the upcoming elections next year. Uh, but I, I think the right wing um, term would be ultra conservative, ultra conservative uh, uh, and uh, quite bigoted and racist and uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Anne uh, in touch with us too. Anne has uh, been uh, listening to the programme, obviously uh, heard somebody say that Helen McEntee is the best justice minister ever. She says, to that Helen McEntee lover, there were much better justice ministers before her. McEntee's opinion of Dublin is that it is a safe place. She doesn't come across as being very confident and looks like she's out of her depth, as is Drew Harris. Less guardie on our roads and around towns and cities to the government, please. Please stop backing them. Thanks, Anne, for that. I don't know. I thought uh, Helen McEntee uh, looked very cool and calm uh, and collect yesterday, uh, taking leaders' questions. Uh, seemed very confident in how she responded. Uh, the minister was on her feet for quite some time, responding to a, a lot of very serious criticism uh, and uh, at all times stayed cool, bar for that one slip uh, where she did refer to people as scum. Uh, she called the rioters thugs numerous times, uh, but uh, I think it was the reference to scum that really uh, caught people's attention. Mairead uh, in touch, and she says, shouldn't the owners of Facebook be partly responsible for the riots? And uh, I take it by that you mean social media, WhatsApp, Instagram, um, all these other sites uh, that are there. In fact, I, I, I don't... Uh, I think a lot of these right-wing groups use the mainstream sites. Uh, they have um, other sites that are not as popular with the general public uh, that they most often frequent. But you will see stuff uh, on Facebook or X or whatever as well. She says, I thought social media companies were supposed to be monitoring what was put up. Had they blocked these messages, maybe there would have been as many, there wouldn't have been as many thugs rioting and looting last Thursday. Thank you very much uh, for that, Mairead. Uh, a text then to us about uh, the North-South Interconnector uh, from somebody who says, will you please give out a, a warning to the farmers or people who are going to the Hedford Arms tonight for this NEPPC meeting? Uh, our caller says, I guess landowners and supporting family members will be there and this could be a green flag for those who wish to trespass or break into their houses. They need to make sure that someone is watching the farm. I think it is going to be a very big meeting, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that pans out. Thank you indeed uh, for that uh, piece of advice for our listeners. Um, another text then that uh, comes to us uh, from a listener in Dublin, I take it, who says Dublin bus and Lewis are the same as the buses in me that we were hearing about earlier on. Uh, fear not. <laughs> fear not. There was plenty of criticism uh, of the services on Dublin bus and on the Lewis at that meeting of uh, the Transport Committee yesterday. Uh, we zoned in on what was said about County Mead in particular, but there was 
plenty of criticism uh, for Dublin Bus and Bus Aaron uh, and uh, indeed the operators of uh, the Lewis. But thank you indeed uh, for your message to the programme. Uh, we don't have uh, much time left, uh, but we are going to go back uh, to hear uh, a little bit more about uh, the policing problems uh, that uh, we've been hearing so much uh, about. Uh, and this time we're going to hear from the Guard Commissioner, Drew Harris, taking questions from Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly. At half past one, were you in touch with the Minister for Justice? That's a, a pretty serious incident. Enough to shock people. Definitely not uh, not something we are used to. Did you talk directly to the Minister for Justice at half one? Uh, no. Uh, did, 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 I, sorry, did another member of your team talk to the directly to the Minister for Justice? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not aware. Uh, what I would say to you was that I was in contact with senior officials uh, in the uh, Department of Justice. But um, I have to, in, in part, I'm responsible for uh, operational response and actually gaining a sense of what's happened and, and, what's, and what's developing. All right, but people wanted to know if the minister was in touch with the Garda Commissioner and vice versa. Thank you very much, Deputy, Deputy Paddy. Yeah, just very briefly, uh, Commissioner, you said in re- later on in response to my question about when you had first contact with the minister, and you said you had contact with her. Was that a text or an email, or did you speak to her on the phone? And if you, if it was a text, when did you first speak to the minister uh, on the thir- on last Thursday? Yeah, I'm, I'm also interested in the answer to that question. Did it happen before uh, six p.m.? That's uh, Aon O'Reardon of the Labour Party and Sinn Féin's Pad Daly also asking about when the Minister and the Commissioner spoke to each other whilst the riots were on. Uh, there were many questions uh, that were being thrown at uh, the Guard Commissioner and when he got around to answering all of the questions I, I think uh, he, he might have forgotten uh, what he'd been asked about when he was speaking to the Minister. Contact with the Minister. Sorry? Contact with the Minister. Sorry, sure. Oh, oh yeah, um... The uh, the time I gave earlier was telephone contact. Uh, the uh, time I provided earlier was uh, telephone contact. And indeed, that led to him being asked again, what time was he in touch with the minister? When was the first time that you spoke to the Minister for Justice in relation to it, or did you have any contact with her that afternoon? Uh, I had contact throughout the afternoon with the uh, the Department of Justice. I can't remember my first precise, the precise moment, first time I spoke with the minister, but I was in contact throughout with the um, department. But also, more importantly, I was in contact with my senior commanders in terms of what was developing and what our, uh, our response would be. But right, it's the same question that was asked many times over. I'm not sure that we heard an answer. I'm not sure uh, if that will be picked up on again today, but I'm sure we'll have much more conversation about how Dublin is being policed and how the riots were for that matter. That's all we have time for for today. Thanks to Brian Farley who researched. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. Listen back to the Michael Reed Show podcast on lmfm.ie or the LMFM app. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie.